you're listening to episode 70 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara. And with no Major League Baseball to watch, there's plenty of Minor League Baseball to talk about. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. First things first, I hope you are all well and you are all comfortable and stocked with all the necessities that you need to stay at home for, well, at least the immediate future. I know that that is what I have been doing. My dog's very confused about why I'm home all the time. I know Alex has been working from home and that presents challenges with children and all sorts of other things. But before we get into baseball, because that's what you're all here for, Alex, every, everything good on your end? Quick health and wellness check, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have one comment on that. And so after wash your hands, I think the most common piece of advice we've been given is to not touch your face. Now, right. as you mentioned, me, you, almost everyone is at home, meaning not at work. And that's very conducive to... Uh, if you're someone like me, uh, not shaving and growing a beard. There's nothing worse for a don't touch your face directive than having a beard. <laughs> it's itchy. It's, I don't know. I, so it's like, it's these two. Uh, I, so I've seen people say like, you know, you know, I'm growing. I, I hate to say coronavirus beard. That sounds so tacky and making light of something that's not funny at all. So I pretend I didn't say that. But I've, I've, had, I've heard people say like, I'm, my beard is coming in nicely as I'm at home. Um, but I think they should put that in one of the bullet points that they're doing with like the washing hands, uh, do this, do that. One of them should be don't grow a beard because you will touch your face if you grow a beard. That's my advice. I'm, sh- I'm going to shave tomorrow, I think. I have to say, not touching your face is way harder than I would have ever thought it was. It's right. something that we do so subconsciously that now that I'm aware of it, I'm like, I touch my face all the time. That might be the hardest thing. That's harder than staying home is not touching my face. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are coming to that realization. The things we learn out of extraordinary circumstances. We do have an exciting conversation coming up for you in just a bit. You know that minor league baseball is near and dear to my heart or just annoying because I talk about it all the time. But Garrett Brushhouse is going to be joining us. Many of you have probably seen his name. He's been around the minor league conversation for a long time, leading the charge on some of the legal sides of that conversation. But he also is now involved in the startup of a new organization called Advocates for Minor Leaguers. But first, I've been told that there's a sea salt update And really, that's all you guys are here for is updates on things like sea salt and touching your face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So if you listened last week, I made note of the fact that for whatever reason, I have a preference for sea salt over regular salt, even though I have no idea if it's an actual superior uh, condiment to, to the other. And I said I wasn't going to do this, but I I sort of did some research anyway. Uh, Well, not really, but I, I, I basically just Googled salt versus sea salt. And uh, one of the articles I came up was from NBC News. Can I get a date on this? Where is it from? February 22nd, 2019. So somewhat, uh, somewhat recent. And it goes through all these different salts like sea salt, Himalayan salt, table salt, kosher salt. Let me tell you what it says under sea salt. Uh, and I'm just going to read you the paragraph. As its name implies, sea salt is derived from seawater. 
Fair enough. Uh, like other less processed foods, it retains more nutrients. In this case, minerals such as magnesium, potassium, and calcium. And these minerals add to the bright color and more pure flavor of sea salt. You can find sea salt from small specialty brands as well as larger mainstream, brand, mainstream brands. And ironically, because of consumer interest in more natural ingredients, aha, manufacturers are now adding sea salt to packaged snacks like potato chips. Ah. But here's where things get weird. Uh, in addition to the natural minerals it has, sea salt may have one unexpected ingredient. According to a recent study, most brands of sea salt contain tiny plastic particles that come from larger plastic debris, which pollute the water that sea salt comes from. <laughs> we don't know yet the impact of these plastic microparticles on our health, but my hunch is it's not good. Well, then. <laughs> <laughs> so, I should have stuck to my guns and not researched this because I didn't really feel like reading that, although... It sounds like we've all been eating sea salt and perhaps plastic for a very long time now, and uh, we seem to be doing fine. Well, I don't know if we're doing fine, but if we're not doing <laughs> fine, it's not because of the sea salt and the plastic, I don't think. But yeah, sure, sure. Th th that is what I learned. And also, I, I, I tweeted out a poll after, uh, after we recorded last week on Twitter and asked uh, this, which set of ingredients for potato chips sounds more appealing to you? Potatoes, oil, salt? potatoes, oil, sea salt, or third option, they have the same appeal. 52.5% said potatoes, oil, sea salt. 41% said this is the same thing. And only 6.6% preferred the potatoes, oil, salt option. Now, I should note, I didn't have a huge turnout for, for this poll, unlike my can Aussie Smith dunk one. Uh, uh -huh. So there were only like 60 people participated. And I guess... My brand on Twitter is more Cardinals guy than uh, condiments guy. So I guess that could hmm. be expected. But there you go. That, that's my update on the sea salt thing. Well, now uh, everyone is going to... You should run another poll and make it be with this additional this information. information. Does it change yeah. your choice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, since we're, we're on the food subject, we were talking last week about the things we've learned about ourselves in quarantine. What I've learned is that I, so I live by myself. I typically am gone often nights and weekends because of my job, or at least the job that I used to have before my job disappeared. And um, I am not home a lot to cook meals for myself. So what I have learned is that it is terrifying to me to try to buy food for more than like one or two days at a time because it I it's going to go bad because I'm going to change my mind and decide I don't want to eat that or just order takeout or something. So the the anxiety <laughs> that surrounds trying to buy groceries for like a week or two weeks at a time, apparently that's not a, a, a skill set that I have that I have developed because I have only ever had to uh, think in much shorter time frames when I'm doing things like grocery shopping. So that's a that's a thing that I apparently need to work on. And hopefully I'll get better at it because my cupboards are going to be very empty soon. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You identify uh, somewhat as like a foodie, correct? To some degree, yeah. Could your issue be you are you know too much about food? You're you're too uh, like like if mm. could couldn't you just be like 
yeah, I'll just eat pasta and rice and uh, w- whatever else for the next three weeks. That just doesn't sound appealing to you because you yeah. have a much more uh, mature palate or uh, you it, do you enjoy the presentation of food? I know what good food, food tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, but so yes, there might be some of that because I do know what I like and I don't often, you know, replicate it. But I also think to some extent, I'm kind of just a little lazy as it comes as far as cooking is concerned, because I could mm-hmm. probably make some of that stuff myself, but it just takes so much time. <laughs> and then there's so many dishes to wash, which is also silly because I have nothing but time right now. So this would be the ultimate opportunity to improve my my cooking ability. And instead, it just is terrifying. I'll tell you one of the underrated things about takeout is when you get done eating and you look around and you realize you have absolutely no dishes to take care of. It's the best. It that really is, a, is. That is a very nice thing. It really uh, is. Speaking of updates, because I did that thing on Seesaw. You know, we talked last week about MLB TV and I said something to the effect of, um, you know, will there be you know, refunds or whatnot, you know, because we're obviously, mm-hmm. there's obviously not yeah. going to be a full season or a season at all. And when I listened to it the next day, I, it kind of left a bad, like, I don't know. I, I think I may have been misguided. And, he, and here's what I mean by that. In a time like this, when I already have that in my budget, do I owe it as a sacrifice to not worry about such things? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah. like if we're going to, and I have no idea where my ninety dollars uh, for to watch the Cardinals on MLB TV and my twenty bucks for you know to get the radio feed on my phone, I have no idea where that money goes to. But if we're going to say like, hey MLB, you owe it to pay your um, minor league players and um, you know your players, um, and I, I think you know that's not a controversial thing to say. I, I I'm very much with you on that and everyone else on that on a much smaller level. Am I being, I don't know if hypocritical is the right word, but like, you know, like, look, I'd already budgeted for this. This is not something anyone planned on. I should just, we should just do a solid and say, I'm going to go ahead and not worry about this money because perhaps they can use this money for other things. Or is that what MO, like, for instance, I'm probably going to be reading less baseball content than I normally would if there was an actual baseball (laughs) season for obvious reasons. But I'm going to make sure I stay subscribed to Prospectus and Fangraphs um, and uh, The Athletic and as well as the Play Index. Those are the, and and Sheehan's newsletter. Those are the, I guess, five things I subscribe to because I, I like those products and I think like we owe that sort of sacrifice to people like that and companies like that who, you know, could be in a time to struggle. And I wonder if I was misguided when I said last week about MLB TV. What do you think? You know, it's interesting. I, I think that concept is coming out a lot here in a number of different places where we're going, oh, but if I if I don't spend money for that, then someone else isn't getting paid for it. And that's come out a lot in the last week or so as well. I think it would be more misguided if there was any reason to feel like that money was actually (laughs) going to pay minor leaguers or something to that effect, uh, as opposed to just lining the pockets of the wealthiest men in sports. Um, But Mm -hmm. conceptually, yes, it is sort of that idea of, okay, this isn't really hurting me to to be missing out on whatever the difference is in that cost. And there are a lot of other people who are 
who are in difficult situations right now. So yeah. I don't think that it's it's necessarily I think it says a lot of your self-awareness <laughs> to recognize <laughs> that after the fact. But I, I'm not entirely sure it's going to help any of the causes we've been talking about. <laughs> like, like it's not the same thing as uh, we have someone who cleans our house every other every other week and we are continuing to pay that person even though they are not going to be coming for um again the obvious reasons um probably not the same thing as the uh, mlb tv thing but it's kind of same maybe in principle somewhere way down the line i don't know that actually wasn't even my random thing that uh (laughs) Uh, <laughs> okay, so is there another random thing or is it the end of the random things at the start of the show? <laughs> no, no, there is. A, there's another random thing and it's, okay. it's way right. worse than that. Uh, um, so you, you probably know this, that like little kids have a very high tolerance to listen and watch the same crap just over and over and over again. Um, it's <laughs> uh-huh. probably how just a song like Baby Shark becomes such like a worldwide hit. Mm, um, because of kids demanding it be played every five seconds. My kids are really into frozen and I have probably, I've been introduced to frozen in the last year, I would say. Um, and with frozen, you know, it's kind of goes hand in hand with that song. Let it go. You know, you obviously know this song, right? I do. Yes. (laughs) Now the, the woman who sings this song, um, it, something Menzel. Do, do you know her first name? Yes. What, what uh, is her? Idina. Idina Menzel. Yeah, Idina Menzel. Okay. So, I have probably listened to this song over the last year, and, and I'm not exaggerating. There's a good chance I've heard it 1,500 times over the last year. Maybe not from wire to wire, start to finish, but at segment of that song in some way has come. A, into my ear lobes or into my ear, whatever it is, into my <laughs> eardrum. What, what part of your ear do you hear with? Not your ear lobes. What am I talking about? Uh, anyway, I've heard this song a lot over the last year. And I realized, unlike other songs that are completely ubiquitous, especially with kids pro- programming and whatnot, I'm not sick of this song. Like, it's a really, really good song. It, uh, I'm like one of those guys who like puts their uh, obscure music out for everyone to see. Like I have a whole, my whole record collection, like all my, all my Dylan records, and all this stuff. So, you know, the assumption like, Ooh, this guy's really interesting. Like, look at all the cool music he listens to. So like, this is not something that would normally be in my wheelhouse. But again, I've heard this song 1500 times. And when I hear it tomorrow and I will absolutely hear it tomorrow, I will not be annoyed that I'm listening to it. It's a brilliant song. It has like that bridge where it's like, dun, dun, dun. You know what I'm talking about? Like in the middle uh-huh, of the song where yeah. it like builds up. It almost mm-hmm. sounds like a really good power pop song from the late 70s. Like I feel like sure. Queen, yeah. I feel like the band yeah. Queen could like do a knockout. I mean, if Freddie Mercury was still with <laughs> us, could do like a knockout version of this song. And, you know, I think it's very easy to uh, make fun of uh, a song that's so popular like this one. But if you're doing that, I think you're wrong. It's a absolutely brilliant song. It's one of the best songs of the last how many years? I don't know. Uh, but I love it. And uh, yeah, it's a perfect song. I don't know what else to say about it. I'm, I, I can't believe I'm, there's a reason why it's so popular. And I think you could almost argue that without that song, the movie is almost nothing. Like this, mm. maybe not yeah. nothing. It's a, it's a but the song movie. is what but made the, it. The song made it so huge, popular. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah, like the yeah. song made the movie almost inescapable more than the other way around, I think. Huh. Like the song, like the movie almost needs a song more than the song needs the movie, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, I, don't know. I get that. I get that. I'm not going to pretend I've thought about it before, but now now I, I can see that. I actually spent a few days with my best friend in North Carolina in January, and she has two little girls who are completely obsessed with mm-hmm. both the movie and the song, and they know every word and all they want to sing all day long is let it go they've learned that they can ask alexa to play let it go and (laughs) then they just play it over and over and over again so i'm not sure i enjoyed it quite as much as you did after those two (laughs) days but nonetheless it is in fact a good song and that is more of the hard-hitting content you all listen to chirps for uh but don't worry there is baseball that we are going to talk about alex sort of alluded to the minor league thing i mentioned the interview that we had a chance to do And I am excited to let you listen to that. So enjoy the interview. We'll be back at the end of the show to wrap things up. Garrett Brushhouse is joining us now, and many of you have probably seen his name around the internet the last couple of days, certainly the last few years, if you've been paying attention to the minor league baseball scene, as we have tried to make sure that our audience has. But nonetheless, this has been a busy couple of weeks in the minor league baseball world. Garrett, thanks so much for joining us. First of all, how much of a whirlwind has the last couple of weeks been just since the shutdown of spring training, dealing with trying to get minor leaguers taken care of, and now starting this new advocacy group? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And you're right, it has been a whirlwind. That's probably the best way to describe it. Um, You know, less than three weeks ago, which is incredible to think about, uh, guys were reporting to spring training and uh, beginning minor, the minor league portion of, of spring training camp. And, you know, spring training, it's important to remember spring training is already a very stressful time for minor league baseball players to begin with. Um, one, it's the end of the off season, and they're often leaving families, uh, leaving loved ones behind. Um, and then they're beginning this, this process where it's 30 straight days of working. Um, without pay, and often, you know, eight to 12 hours a day. Um, And it's quite stressful from the financial standpoint, because they aren't earning a paycheck at all. But it's also quite stressful from the game standpoint as well, because they're competing with each other. And you have every eye in the organization on them. In fact, you know, a lot of organizations have a tower up at their spring training sites where the powers that be for each team sit up in that tower. And um, it's the ivory tower where the, the important people all, all just watch all their minor league players. And, um, it's really about the only, only time when all the players are together and those powers that be, um, get to see all the players at once. And so, you know, it's, it's a really stressful time for players for, for multiple reasons. Um, but you know, the financial aspect, uh, for, for sure, because for those guys who weren't lucky enough to sign for a big signing bonus, they've probably worked all the off season, save enough, saving enough. In, in order to get them to spring training and, 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 and through spring training. Uh, but then, you know, this year, uh, the unexpected happens. And all of a sudden, we have this pandemic breakout. And all the players were sent home. And they were scrambling. Um, they were wondering whether they should try to get some type of part-time job again. Um, some of them are driving for DoorDash. Others were looking for other whatever other part-time work they could get. Um, some of them are, are crashing on uh, their their parents in, in their parents' basement at this point. Some were crashing at, at friends' houses. 
um, because most of them, you know, they're wherever they were living in the off season, that arrangement probably ended right before spring training. So they really were scrambling to figure out where they were going to go, where they were going to train because they were told they needed to stay in shape because they could return at, at any given time, um, and how they were going to make ends meet. Um, and they were told initially that they might not be paid at all during this time. Um, for you know, as far as long as the as it took for the season to begin, um, MLB just last week decided that they were going to give minor league players their per diem uh, that they received during spring training for the period that was supposed to be spring training. Now, the per diem isn't a salary, and it shouldn't be confused with the salary, mm-hmm. but it was at least something, and it's going to help out a lot of players. Uh, during this time period. But there's still a lot of uncertainty because we don't know whether players will actually be paid their salaries at the time when the season was to begin. So amidst all this uncertainty, um, we decided to launch our group. I want to follow up with you on that timeline there because there is a lot of support all of a sudden, seemingly all of a sudden. And I feel like we've done... uh, a lot of work to kind of educate our audience. And I, I find myself feeling pretty good when I see people who read our site and who listen to our podcast kind of informing other people about what the struggles in minor league baseball are. But there are still so many people who aren't aware of it and who don't understand it. And all of a sudden, perhaps because of the spotlight that minor league baseball is under with this entire coronavirus cancellation of spring training, delay of the season, situation, people are paying attention and they're paying attention on a national level. They're paying attention on a local level. I'm curious if that was the reason for starting this now, or if this is something that was already in the works and it just sort of fell into your laps that this attention was going to be placed on it as well. Yeah. So a couple of things are, you're right. You know, your audience, I think it, I would describe them as the type of people who are in the know on this issue. Um, you know, there are people who pay attention to, uh, you know, the in-depth baseball stories and, and they really know what's going on uh, with, with these players, which is really incredible because, you know, I, I run into baseball fans all the time. And a lot of times they're fervent baseball fans that have been baseball fans their whole life. And I ask them, how much do you think a minor league baseball player makes? And a lot of them think, you know, they'll answer $25,000, $35,000. When I tell them that most minor league baseball players make less than $7,500 for an entire year of work, they're floored. And that's what is important to keep in mind. You know, that's why we're having this fight. That's why, you know, I've, I've always had this fight. You know, that's why we brought our lawsuit. We aren't, you know, we aren't middle income people complaining about, uh, you know, not getting paid enough. Instead, we are, we are, ballplayers are among the most poorly paid workers in the entire country. And they're in a $10.7 billion industry. And that just doesn't match up at all. And it never has matched up for me. And so that's why we're doing this to try to change that dichotomy right there. Um, So, you know, this has been, what we're trying to do is we started this group called Advocates for Minor Leaguers. And it's been in, in the works uh, for, for, for a couple of months at this point. But really, it's been in the works for longer than that. You know, officially, all the co-founders got together a couple months ago. And, and um, you know, we decided that now was the time to get out there and provide this collective voice for players that is, is so sorely needed. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been in the works for, for longer than that because, you know, 
these all, all the people that are the co-founders in the group, they are people who care deeply about this game. And they have some connection to minor league baseball and they care deeply about minor league baseball as well. And they just want to see MLB do the right thing. And so, you know, we've been uh, talking for a while about the best way to go about um, doing something to shine uh, more light on this, to educate the public further. Because as you pointed out, sunshine a lot of times is the best disinfectant for something (laughs) like this. And so we've, we've been working on the best way to do this for a while. And, you know, eventually we decided to start this advocacy, this nonprofit that would be an advocacy group uh, with the with the understanding that anybody can advocate for minor league baseball players. Anybody can advocate for higher wages for these low wage earners. Um, And at the same time, we wanted to provide a platform for players themselves to join free for free and to join confidentially and to start growing that network of players. Uh, so that we have a means of communicating with them and so that we can start providing that collective voice voice for players because right now there is no collective voice at all. You know, this offseason was a perfect example. MLB announces that it's going to shutter 42 minor league teams. Um, It's in negotiations with the entity known as Minor League Baseball, used to be the National Association, now known as Minor League Baseball, uh, about uh, about that process because they're about about to sign the the next professional baseball agreement. But, you know, shuttering 42 teams, that's going to cut a thousand minor league jobs, not just in minor league baseball player jobs, I should be more specific. And those players aren't being consulted at all. You know, whenever the the next CBA is negotiated between MLB and the Players Association, well, the major league players have representation at that bargaining table because the MLBPA has represented them uh, you know, since the time of Marvin Miller. But minor league players don't have that union. And so they don't have any representation at, at the bargaining table. And so you have things like the PBA being negotiated that directly impact uh, current players and will impact the, the future crop of players. And the players themselves have, have no say in the matter at all. And so, you know, we coming, coming, coming into things from that perspective, you know, we want to try to replace that void a little bit. And you know, we aren't a union. And so we can't demand collective bargaining, but we can at least pr- start forming this network of players where we do represent their interests and we can start coll- start uh, voicing their concerns on a collective basis and also start raising awareness further and educating the public more. And, um, you know, I think we can, can, can accomplish a lot in that way. Garrett, I'm curious, uh, you know, based on what you described, it really does sound like a culture where you're at a big advantage if you come from a privileged background because perhaps you can afford to live on a very small salary or you know basically no salary at all and of course you know that that weeds out talent that weeds out uh, diversity and I, I'm curious if you know of careers that would have been great careers would would have been very promising careers that simply ended because they could not manage they cannot afford to do the whole minor league baseball thing yeah so when i was in double a which has been several years now so don't ask me how long ago that was <laughs> I'm, I'm aging quickly at this point when i was in double a um i had a, a road roommate and one thing i noticed about him is he i'd get up and eat breakfast i'd, I'd ask if he wanted to go and when i say get up and eat breakfast you have to remember this is like 9 30 a.m because ball players since they play seven o'clock games they don't go to bed until 2 a.m 
Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, I get up and, and eat breakfast. I ask him if he'd want to go. And most of the time he'd say no. And then I'd also invite him to lunch. And a lot of times he would say no to that too. And a lot of times the first thing he would eat then would be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when he got to the field each day. And as I got to know him better, I finally figured out why. And it was because he didn't come from a wealthy background. So unlike some some guys, he couldn't lean on his parents for support. Um, you know, he didn't have a girlfriend supporting him like some 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 guys do. He didn't have a wife supporting him like I actually did at that point. Um, but and so instead, he had to resort to credit card debt in order to pay for things. And so I'd noticed he started getting phone calls that he would just hang up on all the time. And what it was is debt collectors from his credit card that was overdue trying to collect money for him, from him. And so he was literally skipping meals because he couldn't have, couldn't afford to do this. And he was a really good player and almost made it to the big leagues. And just think about how good that player could have been if he could have eaten right and you know would have had just you know the the basic basic financial income in order to buy decent food. You know, we aren't talking about guys getting rich here. We're talking about just getting guys above the poverty line so that everyone starts from a somewhat of an equal playing field and everyone can afford to eat properly. You know, $7,500, that's half of what the, what the poverty line is, essentially. I mean, that's, that's, that's how far we have to go on this. So, you know, there are examples of, of guys that have had to quit for financial reasons. They could have kept playing. In fact, there was a Cardinals uh, prospect just a year or two ago. Um, his name slips my mind at this point, but I remember reading about him that he decided he had to hang them up after a pretty good year the previous year. And, you know, was he the number one over, overall prospect in the organization? No, but he'd had a good year and was a, was a, was a decent prospect and, you know, could have, could have provided some, some further organizational depth. But instead, he had to make the best choice for him from a financial standpoint. And at that time, it was um, the, the decision was that he had to retire and find something else to do simply because he could not afford it anymore. Um, and, you know, that's that's very unfortunate when you see things like that. I think it's so important for people to hear those stories because that's the only way to really get a grip on what it is that people like yourself, people who are trying to be a voice or be an advocate for this to change. It's the only way to really make that picture clear. But there's also the the sort of flip side of that coin, which is that a a lot of guys don't want to tell their story for a myriad of reasons, maybe feel like they can't tell their story, maybe feel like it's going to be harmful to the career that they are trying to hold on to if they do that. So with a group like this, advocating for these minor league players, trying to become a place where they can do so on a a confidential level. How do you get guys to maybe buy into that and feel like this is a way that they can share their voice? Yeah, so it starts in in a number of ways. Uh, But the first way it starts is for us to be out there making ourselves known and for players to know that this platform is out there for them. And the second way is for people to validate this platform as well. You know, anytime a major league player retweets something that, that we put out there, it adds credibility to it. Um, anytime you have an agent behind the scenes telling his players that, hey, there's this new platform, I think you guys should check it out, that validates it. Um, anytime that we go on one of these programs like this and, and can 
can talk about what we're about, that helps validate it. So, you know, getting getting the the word out there and um, is is the first step, and then the second step then is is building trust. You know, showing that we are this group that um, is is full of like minded individuals. That a lot of them are former players. Some of them are even current players still uh, that have, have formed this group. And you know, we're, we've we've been there. Um, we understand what's going on, and we've lived it. And that's why we're we're in this is because we want to change it. And so I think that. I think that really helps us build build trust. Um, you know, both associating with the, the types of groups that the players already trust. You know, with their agents, uh, whether it be the agents or whether it be um, you know other other players and or other major league players and other other minor league players, and then also earning their trust once we actually once they actually do join our organization and we can communicate directly to them. We sort of touched on it a few minutes ago, but there has been this grassroots effort from baseball fans to kind of take on this challenge because Major League Baseball won't, at least to this point, from fundraising efforts to the work that More Than Baseball is doing to the concept of adopting a minor league baseball player to helping guys find jobs to writing these stories to sending their support. There's been so much growing in the last couple of weeks. First of all, how great has that been to see from your perspective when you've been part of this fight for so long now? And secondarily, there's a way for fans to be involved with this group as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you said, we've come a long way already. You know, when I first started talking about these issues over a decade ago, um, this was not a popular issue to talk about. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I started writing for the Sporting News all the way back in 2006, and I wrote about life in the minors then. And my first year writing, I had to be careful what I wrote because the Giants insisted that I mail or email every piece uh, to the assistant GM before I send it to the Sporting News. And so mm-hmm. they, they were screening everything that I wrote. Um, but slowly I stopped emailing stuff into them, which might not have been the best decision for my career, but that's just what <laughs> I did. Um, and then slowly I also became more... Um, I guess, expressive and truthful in, in my storytelling. And then my last year I shifted over to baseball America and, you know, I, I really tried to paint as, as clear of a portrait of minor league baseball as possible. And, um, you know, back then there wasn't a lot being written in that realm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, even at the time we brought our lawsuit then in 2014, you know, talking about minor league wages wasn't a, a really popular thing to do at that point. Um, you know, I, I really think that it wasn't until a year or two after that, that, uh, that more and more people started talking about this. And uh, to be honest, it was in part because of the Save America's Pastime Act, I think, that yeah. um, a lot of people saw the inequities in this. Because all of a sudden, when the Save America's Pastime Act came along, it was no longer about you know just ball players complaining about salaries, no matter how low they are. Instead, it was you know these owners seeking special treatment, and not mm-hmm. only were they speaking mm-hmm. seeking special treatment, they, they'd already had special treatment in the form of an antitrust exemption, but now they were seeking special treatment from our basic minimum wage laws, and that really put things in perspective. You know, the ball players make so little that they're well below minimum wage, and instead of just raising their salaries above the minimum wage, you instead spend millions of dollars lobbying Congress 
for an exemption. And not only do you do that, but you hire the best lobbyist out there so you can have a direct line to leadership and sneak it into the back door of an omnibus spending bill within a matter of days where nobody even knows about it. Yeah, that'll shine a bit of a light. <laughs> at least it seemed to anyway, for people who are paying attention, at least. But even then, that's another conversation that we've had a lot of times that I know so many people have put effort into trying to explain why that's a problem, why it creates this impossible situation for minor leaguers. And I, I think allowing fans to kind of take part in this on some level is a way to, I don't know, just make people more interested in what they don't already know, which is such a huge part of this, right? Is just getting people to understand what it is that they don't know. Oh, without a doubt. You know, when the uh, adopt a minor leaguer program came on board, yeah. a lot of people probably thought that was a parody account. Right. Because yeah. they thought really like, why do you, these players need to be adopted? This doesn't make any sense at all. They're ball players. Like, what, what's this about? But then it becomes known that no, this isn't a parody account. Instead, you have guys that are living below the poverty line and really do need help paying for diapers for their kids. Like, yeah. this, is, mm-hmm. this, is, this is what we've come to. And that story needs to be out there and it needs to be told. And so the, to the extent you can have fan interaction to help with that, yeah, that's great. And as you mentioned, you know, our, our, group, um, <clears throat> our group will certainly have, the opportuni- have opportunities for that as well. You know, our group is a little different in that it's, just not, it's not just trying to help players in the now, but it's really trying to change the structure for the future. You know, there shouldn't be a need for an adopt a minor league player right. program. Um, you know, there shouldn't be a need for host families uh, at the minor league parks around the country. You know, I lived with host families during the season a couple of years, and those families were amazing, and they took me in. Um, but, you know, why are we asking you know, strangers in a community to bring in ball players in a $10.7 billion industry? Like, when you step back and think about it, it just doesn't really make sense. And so, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get out there to actually provide that structural change to where hopefully in the future there won't be a need for a GoFundMe account uh, <laughs> so that, you know, a guy can actually afford to eat a eat eat, eat a Chipotle uh, tomorrow for lunch. Yeah, it's great that fans have recognized that they can sort of make that investment now in players because these minor leaguers are are the backbone the structure of the major league baseball that they all that we all know and love so it's great to have that option i want to ask you a little bit more on a big picture level where we're at with minor league baseball because you mentioned the lawsuit i know that there was a lot of conversation about that around the time of the save america's pastime act things happening or rather not happening on a federal level, but now there's been some movement on a state level, but then there was the contraction proposal. So there's been a lot going on in the minor league world. And I know you have a pretty good idea of how all those pieces work together. So where are we at with minor league baseball? Because a lot of people are concerned. Yeah, you're right. So this is a big year for it, which is a big reason why we wanted to get out there with our group advocates for minor leaguers, because there is just so much going on this year. So, you know, on the lawsuit front, Um, We won our appeal in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals back in August. Um, Ideally, we would be back in front of the trial court by now and pushing things along. But, you know, things of this nature, especially when you're dealing with complex litigation, and this is um, this is a complex case and it's the type of thing that's never been litigated before. And so it takes a while to play out. 
And so right now we are awaiting MLB's um, petition to the Supreme Court. And so what that means is MLB gets a chance to try to essentially appeal from the appeal where they try to take the case to the Supreme Court. Um, now, of course, you know, the Supreme Court gets thousands of these requests each year and they only take a small number of them. But the process takes a while to play out. Um, their petition was actually supposed to be due at the end of this month. But like a lot of things this days, um, all of those deadlines have been extended for 60 yeah. days now. So we're still waiting on the lawsuit front. Uh, but we are excited and about winning that Ninth Circuit um, appeal. And we're really excited to get back to the trial court and, and um, you know, seeing what happens in the next year. And real quick, for people who maybe aren't aware of the details of that, what, is, what does that win mean? What would sure. that in- involve? Yeah. It, and, and to take a step further even back, uh, for those of you who don't know about the case, what we did was we brought a, uh, a case on behalf of minor league baseball players saying that MLB is failing to comply with basic minimum wage right. laws, both at the state level and at the federal level. And so, for instance, when guys are required to go to spring training um, and they work without a paycheck, we're alleging that that violates violates your basic minimum wage laws because you aren't supposed to force people to work for free. Um, Now, that, of course, has to play out. They have claimed that there are um, some exemptions in play, but that is what eventually led to the Save America's Pastime Act. Um, Now, the reason the Save America's Pastime Act didn't completely kill our lawsuit is because just that was a an exemption that was passed under federal law, mm-hmm. but we were also operating under state laws. Right. And so since the, the since that exemption to, was under federal law, it doesn't automatically change the state laws. So we're allowed to continue to go forward under state laws. And then that was the important part of the ap- appeal process is it allowed us to use those state laws as a class action. And so when we go back to the trial court, um, we will then we we currently have a certified class action under the state laws of Florida and Arizona for all that work on behalf of all those minor league players mm-hmm. for the past several years that have worked in, in Arizona or Florida at those spring training sites and under also under California law for the work that's performed in the California League. So when all of that comes into play, you're working on that angle, and then Major League Baseball sneaks in this idea of eliminating all those jobs you mentioned earlier. When you present this advocates for minor leaguers to people who are going to want to know what they can do, what is it now? I mean, the, the fundraising, the hosting a family, adopting a player, that's all great. But what can people do working with you on this level with all of these issues at play? right now? Yeah. So a couple different things. So as, a, as if you're a current player, there's a way that you can join for free and for confidentially on our website. Uh, you click on the get involved page of our website. And the first first link, the link is for uh, current players. And it says, if you're hey, are you a current player? Join us. You can click on that. Or you can, if you're a current player, you can reach out to us directly as, as well. Um, for fans out there, there are a couple things that you can do. You can go to that same web, website, um, advocatesforminorleaguers.com, and there are ways to get involved there. One is to sign our petition. We have a petition right now that's demanding that the minimum salaries be increased to $15,000 per year. Um, that's the amount that a full-time minimum wage worker makes in this country, and it's enough to that would actually bring players above the poverty line. 
So you can sign our petition for starters. You can also sign up for our newsletter. And if you sign up for our newsletter, there are going to be volunteer opportunities at some point. You know, obviously we aren't playing baseball right now, uh, but we're, we are going to play baseball at some point uh, and hopefully sooner than, than later. Um, and once that happens, you know, we're going to have different volunteer opportunities to get, get the word out. You know, it might be uh, a way to have uh, a paper petition drive as well, where if a person is interested in, in doing something like that, they can get friends to sign their petition. They might even, we might even organize some type of day at the ballpark where people can get together at ballparks around the country and do a petition drive at ballparks around the country and maybe do some leafleting and things like that. Um, or you might be a person that has some unique talent uh, that, that we could offer too. You know, all the, everybody that's involved in this organization right now is working for free. And so we appreciate anybody that is willing to, you know, volunteer. And then of course, the third way is to become a supporting member. And that's also through our website where you can, um, for, for $25, you can become a supporting member of, of, of our group. And, um, for higher levels, we actually have the opportunity to, um, have to have to get a free T-shirt out of it and and some things like that. Um, so yeah, those are those are the three things. You can sign our petition. You can sign up for our newsletter and and wait for um, volunteer opportunities. You can of course reach out to us directly too about it. Um, and then the third thing is is become a supporting member. Lots of ways for people to help out on this issue right now, which is great to see. I'm sure for you working on this for so long, it's nice to see maybe a little bit of traction in that direction. And I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to share that with us and our our audience here. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And we have a lot of work to do uh, still. And um, yeah, it's all hands on deck. And, and thanks to you and, and thanks to all your listeners. Thanks so much once again to Garrett for joining us. Make sure you check out advocatesforminorleaguers.com. If you're interested in more of the details, you can follow them on Twitter. You can follow Garrett on Twitter. You can get all the information that you need. Obviously, as I have said over and over, this is something that is so important to so much of what we talk about and what we encourage people to educate themselves about. So it was great to hear that interview with Garrett. Don't forget that you can help support minor leaguers as well by purchasing the new merch at Birds on the Black, an awesome new logo that's a nod to the minor league baseball logo, as well as, spoiler alert, a little bit of a nod to old school baseball cards. Pull them up side by side. You'll see what I'm talking about. But there are shirts, there are hats, there are stickers, there's a mug, and you can get all of that at birdsonthelack.com slash store. You can find it there. Anything sold with that logo on it, 100% of the proceeds will go to More Than Baseball's fundraiser that is supporting these minor leaguers who are currently without work and without a paycheck. So this is our all MILB everything episode. So make sure you check that out as well. And just to change things up a little further, Alex, I shocked the world by coming to the show with a chirp of the week. So I thought I'd give you the week off. I am buckled in. All right. So I was inspired by the fact that KMOX in lieu of current baseball is replaying every game through that 2011 stretch that led to obviously the World Series champion St. Louis Cardinals. And on Tuesday, they were replaying the August 26th game versus the Pirates. So I listened to a little bit of it before we actually recorded this show. And then I was kind of digging back through the box scores, looking at a little bit of what happened in that show. I have the world's worst memory or in that game rather for this show. 
I have the world's worst memory. So I had to look up a lot of those details. But I wanted to go over a little bit of that before I ask you one question about it. So the starting lineup for the Cardinals in that game was Skip Schumacher, Alan Craig, Albert Pujols, Matt Holliday, Lance Berkman, David Fries, Yadier Molina, Raphael Fercal, and Jake Westbrook as the starting pitcher. We'll circle back to that in a moment. The Cardinals won that game thanks to Lance Berkman's 30th, 30th home run of the season. Um, Andrew McCutcheon was caught stealing after a leadoff single in the seventh, which I mentioned because on the broadcast they had Vince Coleman and, and Willie McGee talking about the game as well as their, you know, careers and, and what they were doing now. And they were saying that they thought, I, I believe it was Vince Coleman said he thought that Andrew McCutcheon could be a hundred base dealer, <laughs> which was hilarious to me when he said it. And now in light of what the last few years have been for Andrew McCutcheon, maybe he's not the greatest talent what? scout, but you who know, said nonetheless. That? Who said that, Tara? Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman okay. on the broadcast. Yeah. And does Vince uh, Coleman realize no one has stolen a hundred bases since him in 1987 well, and no well, one's even really what, been close. Yeah. I mean, that was the question. Do you think anybody could ever do it? And he oh, okay, said okay. that he thought McCutcheon could. Ah, so, okay. All right. um, there was that, uh, anyway, that matchup, the starting pitching matchup was McDonald versus Westbrook. And that was a rematch from actually just about 10 days earlier in Pittsburgh. And in that game, Jake Westbrook took the loss. It was a 6-2 win for Pittsburgh. But the Cardinals used three pitchers in both of those games. And both times, it went from Jake Westbrook to Arthur Rhodes. But if you recall, the closer role at the time was a bit of a patchwork quilt through the most of that season, I guess. So in the first game of that McDonald's versus Westbrook matchup about 10 days earlier, it was... Mitchell Boggs, who pitched at the end of the game. Yes, that was still a thing on August 15th. He gave up one run on two hits and a walk in two innings. But then on the 26th, the game that KMOX replayed on Tuesday night, it was Kyle McClellan who pitched two perfect innings to secure the one-run win for the Cardinals, which gave them a two-game winning streak, which seemed like a huge deal at the time. So that's your little refresher. But my question Alex is I was thinking about this and at first I saw okay Jake Westbrook started this game I wonder who in the possible starters for the Cardinals in 2020 is the Jake Westbrook of that group and then I realized okay it goes to Arthur Rhodes and he was kind of the consistent piece of that bullpen and then it was the merry-go-round of closers so if you had to to match up the starter the go-to guy that maybe is the bump to the closer and then whoever might be the <laughs> the mystery closer of the day, who would the three current Cardinals be that you would match up with those three? All right. So I think I'm going to answer it more based on who I think most mirrors the guy versus the role. Okay. Um, well, it's kind of both, I guess. Like, So Westbrook... I'm trying to think like who's like a soft, you know, not the hardest throwing guy who's, who's described more as crafty and who's most likely to be left off um, like the postseason starting rotation. Right. Yeah. Um, and I got to think D Dakota Hudson, right? Yep. I mean, okay, both that's, right. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Okay. They're, they're both righties. Um, so that m moves us to Rhodes. Um, this might be cheating because, I think I'm going to say Andrew Miller solely because 
how many uh, pitching appearances he got last year, meaning he did seem like the go-to guy. Whether or not okay. he was as effective as as Rhodes was that year, probably not. But he did seem like the guy they turned to in a lot of situations. And he's a lefty. So um, like Rhodes, he's a lefty. So that's how I'm going with. The last one's the hard one. Um, <laughs> and so I, if I recall, McClellan started a lot of games in 2011 yeah. as well. And so I want to think of a guy who's in the Cardinals bullpen but could also be a starter. So I'm going to say John Gant. Okay. All right. What do you think? Yeah, that could that could do it. Okay, okay. so I I would have gone Dakota Hudson was was my mm-hmm. comparable starter. Um, I'm gonna go not for any other reason except that I think the role makes sense. Uh, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go Giovanni Gallegos. Okay. In the yeah. Arthur Rhodes spot, and then that closer one gets tricky. But I think it's interesting how relevant that is to the possible construction of the bullpen this season because we don't know who the closer is gonna be. Right? It could be any number mm-hmm. of guys. I I wonder if it's somebody like uh, Ponce de Leon or ah, that's um, a good, that is a good yeah that, I think I'm gonna go with Ponce because a guy who could maybe should be in the starting rotation probably is gonna get some starts when you need someone to fill in but you also can you know trust him against both lefties and righties um, so yeah I think I would go Dakota Hudson, Giovanni Gallegos, Daniel Ponce de Leon. I like it and. Th- that just kind of bummed me out because I, I all of a sudden feel really sad for pitchers like Ponce de Leon and Gomber and guys who seemed like they were starting to really put yeah. it together this spring and now this. Um, and, you know, we, we're just talking very confidently as if there's going to be a season. And, you know, <laughs> who knows if there's even going to be a season yeah. at all. So, man, for pitcher like Ponce de Leon's sake, I hope, I hope there's something because it sure seems like he worked very hard this offseason. Well, if nothing else, we just crowned him the <laughs> the <laughs> late season closer, apparently. So congrats to Daniel Ponce de Leon uh, on that. But that is the trip of the week. I would love to know what you guys think, who your picks would be. If there were three guys to pitch in a game, it was the Jake Westbrook, Arthur Rhodes, Kyle McClellan, or Mitchell Boggs, or Jason Mott. <laughs> Pick your closer at the end of the games. Who would those three be? That though, is all I have. Alex, thanks for hanging out while we're in quarantine and talking about anything but baseball and also some baseball too. And um, good luck with Let It Go tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thanks to everyone for listening. Make sure that you're following Birds on the Black on Twitter. You can follow Alex at AlexCard79. I'm at Tara Wellman. Make sure you check out Advocates for Minor League players and i'm sure we'll tweet it all out throughout the week as well so thanks to everyone for listening stay safe i'm tara he's alex we'll talk to you next time